Welcome to the Life Church Utah podcast. We pray that today's message is a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. You can always give to Life Church by texting the word LCGIVE to 43506. Thank you, and now a message from one of our pastors. All right, it's my privilege to conclude our series uh, today. And our series has been called Life in the Spirit, and we're going to deal with the topic of being equipped. You ready to be equipped? I'm going to forewarn you, it's going to take some work on your part. You ready to work? Yeah, about three of you, okay. (laughs) Hopefully you'll get inspired. All right. Uh, It seems like I had another announcement, but I don't remember what it was, so let's just move on. All right, so over the last three weeks, Pastor Rich has spoken about what life in the Spirit is supposed to look like. We've learned how to live empowered, emboldened, and embraced. And by way of review, in week one, we looked at the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2, and the story of the day of Pentecost, when the baptism in the Holy Spirit was first introduced to the Christian church. We discovered the importance of the Holy Spirit's empowerment and how it relates to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in week two, we learned that the Holy Spirit's presence and power bring boldness and an unstoppable determination to live life God's way. You ready to live that way? You got to be empowered. So in week three, we learned about the gifts of the Spirit as well, which make the Spirit-filled life all that God has planned for us. Now today, we're going to discover how to be equipped by that same Holy Spirit. You may remember from week one, Pastor Rich referenced the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. There it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this verse to me is mission critical. Ever heard that term? Well, you have now. The verse is mission critical, and what I mean is that in order for us to accomplish the mandate and mission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, we must be empowered, we must be emboldened, and we must embrace the gifts of the Spirit. And if we miss any of these key components, we will not be fully equipped to accomplish God's plan for evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship simply mean that we introduce others to Christ and we model and teach them how to live successful Christian lives. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In another verse, which is found in the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So we see that the apostles and other disciples were obedient to the instructions of Jesus. They stayed in Jerusalem. They worshipped and prayed in Jerusalem. And they waited in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to be, excuse me, to be revealed. And I'll tell you what, he revealed himself in a huge way that day. You may 
remember in week one of our series that in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, we read, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now these are very important verses because they introduce the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit, which should be the normative experience and practice for the New Testament church. But notice the following verses. They say, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Yeah, you think so? It would have been a strange experience. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them. You ever been made fun of for your Christian faith? At least one of you has. I'm sure many of us have. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. What's really funny is the, the Greek word here for wine is glucose, which means grape juice. So it was even more of a slam. These guys are drunk on grape juice. Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And for more on that, you could go to Joel chapter 2, and it talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost. But notice with me the progression of events here. In Luke 24, Jesus told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem, to wait for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, Jesus told the disciples to go and make disciples, to baptize those who accepted him as their Savior and Lord, and to teach them everything he had taught them. Now notice what they did not do. This is where you need to really tune in. Ready? Notice what they did not do. They did not stay in the upper room and keep the gift of the Holy Spirit to themselves. In fact, they left the upper room immediately after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and began to share God's good news with everyone outside the upper room. Guess what? They shared the good news even with those who were making fun of them. Now, the upper room is known for at least two very important biblical experiences or events. Now, they're mentioned in the New Testament. One is the account of what is known as the Last Supper. This was the final meal Jesus ate with his disciples just before his crucifixion. It's found in all four Gospels, Matthew 26, Mark 14, 
Luke 22, and John 13 through 17. Now, the second upper room experience is what we've already discussed in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And he manifested himself to about 120 Christian believers. Now, notice that the upper room was never intended to become a shrine or an iconic meeting place. Church isn't supposed to be that either. The building is not to be either. It is never the place where we meet God that should be elevated. Rather, it is the fact that God actually comes to make himself known to us that is important. He wants to connect with us individually and collectively. But unfortunately, Christians sometimes idolize, even worship the place rather than the person. Also, we tend to place the experience on the same level as the person. Now, both of these are quietly disguised as idolatry. Idolatry, simply put, is when we place anything or anyone higher or on the same level as God. Now, also, some of us only want the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We want the gifts. We want the manifestations. We want the signs that follow. But we're not as open to the equipping of the Holy Spirit. I wonder why that is. I would venture to say it's because genuine equipping takes a four-letter word, work. And it only comes when we partner with God through prayer, Bible study, and sharing our faith with other people. So what does real equipping look like? I think to answer that question, we need to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now the word mature there means to be equipped. So part of the equipping of the church comes through the five offices of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But they only function to assist us. Unfortunately, many people expect the pastor or the pastoral team to do all the equipping for them. They think that the Sunday morning sermon is a cure-all for them. They fail to open their Bible during the week. They don't take the time to pray. They don't share their faith with their neighbor. But I think a more appropriate word here for equipping could be mentoring. A mentor models and teaches, but he or she cannot do the work for us. Proper equipping not only involves the pastor and other believers, but it includes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it has a lot to do with the fruit of the Spirit. So here are some thoughts that I shared recently with our senior adult group about the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
So the way this verse is structured in Greek seems to indicate that there's only one fruit of the Spirit. And that one fruit could be love. So here's a thought. Since the fruit is not plural, since it's only one fruit, love, I guess if you want to know what love really looks like, it could be described like this. It's joy-filled, peaceable, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. This is a concept that I've thought about for a lot of years. But to tell you the truth, I still don't know if there's just one fruit or nine fruits. But what I do know is that our lives should consistently exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Next, I also believe that part of being equipped means that I recognize and wear the complete armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, it gives us the imagery of what being clothed with the armor looks like. And it begins in verse 10 and it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on, notice, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And finally, tying it all together, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It is important to note that the armor of God is not something that we provide for ourselves. I can't go to Costco and buy it. I can't go to Walmart and buy it. Or if you think a little higher, I can't even go to Dillard's and buy it. It is a gift from God. But I have a responsibility to put it on. We're told twice in that passage to put on the full armor of God, not just part of it, not a couple pieces, but all six pieces. So what are the six different pieces of armor and what are their respective purposes? And here's where you can do your fill-ins. Number one, the belt of truth. Doesn't that sound macho? The belt of truth. This seems to have to do with a believer's integrity. A soldier in Paul's day had a leather girdle Yep, that's what it says. Or belt that he tightened around his waist to protect his loins. Loins are the part of the body on both sides of the spine between the lowest ribs and the hip bones, a.k.a. love handles. <laughs> I never knew we needed to protect our love handles, but apparently we do. What's, in, what's underneath the love handles? Your kidneys. 
You've got to protect yourself. Here he carried his weapons of warfare like a dagger or sword. In Christian armor, it is integrity that holds everything else together. You can be talented. You can be gifted. You can be eloquent. You can be charismatic. But if you don't have integrity, you will not last. You will fail. You will fall. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. This seems to deal with the believer's purity. The breastplate cover was sometimes made of woven chain and used to protect the soldier's vital organs. The enemy wants to attack you not only with lies, but also with impurity. He wants you to take in inappropriate media, movies, videos, websites, etc. But the bottom line is that Satan wants to get into your heart and he wants to get into your mind and he wants to influence you and sidetrack you and ultimately destroy you. Amen. He's looking for a crack in your armor. Number three, the shoes of peace. Now this seems to deal with the believer's tranquility or peace. A Roman soldier's shoes would have had what are called hobnails on the soles. If you think of football cleats, but the really spiky ones that are made of metal, they were important because when they were fighting, they needed solid footing in order to be stable. Now, unless we have a solid footing of peace, we can never fight a spiritual war. When Satan comes against your tranquility, he throws out stones of doubts and discouragement to try to cause you to stumble. You need the peace of God, which transcends all comprehension, all thought. If you, have, if you have God's peace, you really can win any battle. Number four, the shield of faith. This might be called the believer's certainty. A Roman soldier's shield measured approximately two feet by four feet and was made of wood covered with leather. In that day, soldiers dipped arrows in oil, then lit them on fire and shot them at their enemy. These shields were vital to protect the soldier from getting not only pierced, but also burned. And listen to this. Satan is going to shoot flaming arrows at you. Have you had to dodge some arrows this past week? I'm sure all of us have. He wants to put subtle doubts in your mind about God and his truth if he can do so. He knows a spark can ignite a big fire. You will need you to feed your faith. You'll need to feed your faith and to starve your doubts and fears. All right, number five, the helmet of salvation. This seems to relate to the believer's state of mind and protection. A soldier used a helmet to protect his head because if his head was wounded, he wouldn't be able to think, maneuver, and ultimately fight. Every believer needs to have the mind of Christ that is fully submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Even more than this, you have to have experienced salvation and be living in a right relationship with God if you hope to live a successful Christian life. It has to move beyond the Sunday morning worship service. And number six, the sword of the Spirit. This is the Word of God, the Bible. When we are tempted, the most effective weapon God has given to us as believers is the Word of God. 
Jesus modeled this so well during his temptation in the wilderness. When the devil tried temptation after temptation against him, Jesus responded with what? The word of God. In Luke 4, Jesus combated the devil by using God's word to not just resist him, not just to overcome temptation, but to have victory in that situation. The sword of the Spirit works. Memorize scripture and use the word of God to defeat Satan's lies and attacks on you and your family. Now listen, God has a plan for our lives. You believe that? But guess what? Satan has a plan for you too. We just have to decide which voice we're going to listen to and who we're going to follow each day. And chances are, if we don't make a determined choice to follow God, we will fall. We will fail. And chances are, it won't be a big shock. If you don't put in the investment, you're not going to get the return. God gives specific instructions in His Word. He gives us all we need to live successful and effective Christian lives. Yet all too often, we race through our busy, full days, ill-equipped, unprepared, and simply not aware of what we're up against or who we're up against. All right, so here's the big question. What is the point of being empowered, emboldened, embraced, and equipped? What's the point? Well, here's the big answer. It is so we will bring people into a personal relationship with God. Any other reason is secondary. We should have a worship team about now. How about we wait patiently for them? It may take them a couple minutes. But let me, give you, let me give you three commercials here really quickly. Coming up on Saturday, August 10th, as you've heard about twice already this morning, Life Church will be hosting our second annual community outreach called Project Back to School. Now, we are anticipating a huge crowd again this year. They're going to come to our campus. They're going to be looking for food. They're going to be looking for fun. And guess what? They're going to get those two things. But we, as believers, need to be thinking even bigger than that. We want them to have fun. We want them to have some good quality food. But we also want to model what our relationship with Jesus looks like. We need to show them Christ. And one way to tangibly do that is to give. Give food. Give fun. Give love. In addition, Life Church will be relaunching and expanding our life group ministry. And that'll be in September. Finally, in October, Life Church will be hosting our annual Harvest Festival. We're going to have hundreds of people right here who may not yet know Christ. So what can we do today? On your way in, you should have received a card. Go ahead and take that out. Make sure you have a pen or pencil. Take out the card. If you don't have one, simply raise your hand, and our fine ushers are going to get you one right now. All right, has everyone been served? 
Anybody else? Okay. So what I want you to do is to write down the names of three people that you feel don't have a relationship with Christ. I know that involves making a judgment call, and that's not what this is about. What this is about, before you came to Christ, it was obvious that you didn't have a personal relationship with Him, right? I knew before I came to the Lord, I did not have a relationship with Jesus. And people around me knew that. How did they know that? My language, my lifestyle, my lack of worship of God. Basically, the fruit of my life told everyone around me that I did not have a relationship with Christ. So that's just the explanation there. So what I want you to do is to write down three names of those who you want to see come to Christ. This could be a family member, friend, coworker, neighbor. So go ahead and do that right now. And I'm gonna do the same. You may ask, well, how can I limit it just to three? Well, if you wanna fill out the card with 40, that's up to you. But how about we start with three? So let's have a uh, awkward silent pause here for about 30 seconds and write down those names. If you can't think of three, I'll give you three. All right, everybody got them? All right. So once you've written their names, we're going to pray. Once we prayed, I'd like for you to bring those names to the altar and place them here as a symbol and a sign that you are releasing them to God. But here's the investment that I want you to make. I want you to commit to praying for them every day until they turn their lives over to Christ. Somebody prayed for you. I bet somebody prayed for you every day. Somebody may still be praying for you. I hope so. I hope they're praying for me. Because I need to grow. I need to become more like Christ. So I want you to commit to praying for them every day until, they're, until they turn their lives over to Christ. And I also challenge you to live empowered, emboldened, and I want you to embrace the gifts of the Spirit. And finally, let's live our lives fully equipped. But it's a partnership with God and His people. Amen. We pray that today's message is a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.